0: God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming today. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there so we bring the service to you wherever you are and we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis? That's where we're going to be today in chapter 3. We'll also show those verses up here in the video for you, just to make it easier for you to follow along. Today we're continuing in our Beginnings series in the book of Genesis. The book of Beginnings, as you remember from the Hebrew, it's uh, Bereshit, Barah Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we've already looked at the creation of the heavens in chapter 1, and the earth as well in chapter 1, and In the last two weeks, we've looked at the creation of all of life on earth, including the creation of man, a special creation who was made in the very image of God. And today, I'd like to talk to you about the beginnings of despair and the beginnings of hope. Let's look at chapter 3, and we'll go through those verses together, starting in verse 1. In verse 1 of Genesis 3, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, Lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your own eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant for the eyes, it was pleasant to look at, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7 continues. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves for themselves and made themselves coverings. Now let's talk about these verses before we continue on. The way that we left chapter 2, God had created man. Verse 1, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 26, he created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he made them. So he created them in the image of God. Chapter 2, he formed man from the dust of the earth. And remember, we said that, see, in chapter 1, he created man in his own image. Well, God is a living, eternal spirit. He created man with the eternal spirit, you see. He didn't form the body in chapter 1. You and I today and most of the world tend to think of themselves as just the body. But really, in the beginning, it was not that way. The most important part of you was the spirit. That's the part that lives forever. That's the part that was created in the image of God. God doesn't have flesh and bones like you and I do. He doesn't have that. He's eternal spirit is what the Bible teaches. And so when we're created in the image of God, we're not made to look like Him physically because He doesn't have a physical appearance. He can take on any physical appearance He wants to. He's God. He can appear as a man just like He did in Genesis 18 when He appeared to Abraham Avinu, Abraham. He and two other angels that were there appeared and and, And Abraham said there were three men walking toward him. So God appeared as a man. And then Abraham talked to him, called him Lord, and worshipped him as Lord. You see, so God can take on the form of a man whenever he wants. And that's what he did in the Son of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. He became a man to save us because through man sin entered the world. So through man sin had to be atoned for to be taken out of the world and restored mankind to everlasting life in heaven with God. But that's for later. I just wanted to kind of go there just to show you that man was first made as a spirit, as a spirit, eternal spirit in the image of God himself. Chapter 2, we saw that God formed man into a physical body from the dust of the earth. Remember, and we said that He called him Adam. Now, those of you Hebrew speakers, let's talk Hebrew. (laughs) Hashem Adam, Adam. Okay, his name was Adam. And why is it important that we pronounce it Adam instead of Adam? It's the same letters if you look at it in English. Well, in Hebrew, it's pronounced Adam. And that's important because he came from Adama. The Bible says that God made him from the dust of the earth, from the dirt. He was lowly. He was to be humble, but yet he was made in the very image of God himself. So he was this two-part creature. First of all and most important, he was spirit. And then he had a body. And those bodies wear out over time just like a car wears out. And eventually we're going to get out of these bodies. We're going to go and get an upgrade if we believe on the, the Mashiach, the Messiah that God sent. And we'll live forever in the kingdom of heaven, the forever kingdom with God. And so it's important to remember who you are and how you're really made up. You're more than just this flesh and you're not some animal. You're made in the very image of God. That's why we're standing here today talking to you over the internet. You see, monkeys, porpoises, uh, turtles, uh, creatures like that, coyotes, wolves, dogs, cats, they don't have internet, you see. They haven't invented internet. They haven't invented space flights that go to Mars and beyond our solar system. They haven't invented satellites that they orbit around the earth. There's no creature even close to mankind. There's no second place, no second place in the intelligence, in the the sort that man has. God created man in his own image, your eternal spirit. You're wise, you're intelligent, you're smart. You can do things that no other creature can do. Oh, you can give them another 20 billion years if you'd like. They're not going to get to where you are because they weren't created in the image of God like you were. But now as we look at this, and we passed the creation of man's body in chapter 2, and his eternal spirit in chapter 1, we're now at chapter 3, and look what's happening in the first seven verses. The serpent, it says, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he had made all those creatures. And the serpent said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, here's the way the enemy works Satan, the, servant, uh, the serpent, rather, the serpent was Satan, he was cast out of heaven for trying to exalt himself to be worshiped instead of God, or to be worshipped as God was worshipped. And there was a war in heaven. Satan was cast down to the earth, and here he is. He's he's upset because he knows his time is short. He's no longer in the kingdom of heaven, the eternal kingdom, and the clock is ticking. He doesn't have very long. And what can he do against God? God's all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God sees everything. Satan can have no plan at all against God. Even as powerful as he was as an angel, his power is nothing compared to God. God could blink his eyes, and in a blink of God's eyes, he could take Satan and all of his demons and fallen angels Turn them into dust and cast their dust into the edges of the universe instantly. There's no contest between the creature and the creator. There's no contest at all. So many times in the world, the world tries to put it like, well, Satan's over here trying to talk you into doing something, and God's over here trying to talk you into doing something good, and we don't know who's going to win because Satan's really gnarly, and God's powerful. He's the creator. Who's going to win? Oh, please. God is the creator of all things. Satan's power is absolutely nothing compared to the power of Almighty God. So here's Satan as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And notice the first thing that he does. He can't fight against God, so he tries to destroy those whom God made in his own image. He tries to destroy mankind, the man and the woman. That doesn't mean destroy just their body. If he destroyed their body and God still had the Spirit, then they could still have heaven to go to, you see. But Satan can't do anything against God, so he tries to take out his anger on God by using the man and the woman and taking away their everlasting life, their eternal life. He's trying to take away the thing that is most important to God, that man and woman, women have eternal life so that they can spend their eternity with Him. That's why He created them, to be children to God. He created them to be His children, male and female, to be sons and daughters of God. He created them. And now Satan is messing with man and the woman. God doesn't like that. But man has to make the choice for his own self. And the serpent came up to Eve and says, Has not God said, You shall eat of everything in the garden, of every tree in the garden? Notice how he said something in this first verse in chapter 3 that is basically true. Because God did tell Adam, You shall eat of everything in the garden. But then the very next sentence, God says, but the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it nor touch it, because in the day you eat of it, you shall die. So Satan was using the first part of what God said, and he's quoting God, but he left out the second part. That's kind of like people that take part of the Word of God, and they quote it, to support what they want to say. And they're okay with throwing away the second half of what's being said right below that verse that they want to quote, or right above that verse that they want to quote, which shows that how you're supposed to interpret that verse. And that's the way people twist the Bible. That's the way people twist the Scriptures. They'll quote part of what God said. But if you read the second part of what he's talking about, right where they quoted it, in context we call it, if you look at it in context, you'll find that God was not saying what they say he was saying. He was saying something entirely different, usually the very opposite. That was what Satan uses. That's one of the tricks that Satan uses to try to deceive people into doing things that will take away their everlasting life. Into doing sin. Satan will try to deceive men and women into doing things because he knows that sin will keep them out of the kingdom of heaven. And that will hurt God's heart, you see. Satan cannot hurt God physically. He cannot hurt Him spiritually. But he can break his heart when he attacks those whom God loves. And God is committed to giving men and women a free choice. They can make the choice. We saw that in the, in the garden. You know, as God put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil there in the midst of the garden. He said, don't eat of it. Why would God have put that there if he didn't want them to eat of it? Because God didn't want to make us just robots. That we would walk around and He programmed us to say, I love you God, you are wonderful. That's not the love He wanted, that's not real love. God wanted us to have real love, to look up and behold the creation around us, above us, and all throughout creation and see the wonders that God did and say to God, God, you are wonderful, you are awesome, God, I love you, I want to know you. You see, that's what God had in mind. So He gave man a choice. Man could eat of the tree or not. God had told him not to, but man had the choice. He could obey God or he could disobey God. Satan comes along and tries to deceive Eve and said, didn't God say that you can eat of every tree of the garden? Well, yes, he did say that, but right after that, he said something else. He said, But of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, because of the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But the woman, to her credit, in verse 2, said, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, it's interesting if you look at what God actually said about it. He had told them not to eat of it. She added touching it as well. She didn't even want to go close to it. She was so afraid to disobey God that She even said, well, it's more than just eating it. I'm not even going to go close to it or touch it. I don't even want to get close to doing what God told me not to do. So she was correct in what she said, and her heart was right then. But then the serpent said to her in verse 4, said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, Satan's first plan didn't work. He couldn't convince the woman that God said that it was okay to eat of that tree, too. She knew that that wasn't true, that she could eat of everything else except for that tree. But then Satan tries a different plan, and this time, he just right outright calls God a liar. He says, it's okay, you're not going to die. God knows that in the day that you eat of that, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What he was trying to do was convince Eve that God was somehow lying, that God was evil that God was trying to protect himself, that he was trying to withhold something that was really good from Adam and Eve. And that's the tact that Satan is taking now. And that one worked. It says in verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves coverings from those. Now I want you to understand something. It says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise, what does the New Testament say about that? Here's what gets you into trouble, these three things. The lust of the flesh, the body, satisfying the flesh, the body, the desires that you have, the carnal, fleshly desires that you have, food, sex outside of marriage, all of these things. Looking at someone else to lust after them that's not your wife, that's not your husband. That's the that's lust after the flesh. That's what the New Testament warns against. And in that same area of verses, it says, Then the lust of the eyes, always wanting what's not yours, seeing what someone else has, and coveting what they have. God had said, Thou shalt not covet. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then, look, it was a tree desirable to make one wise. So now that's pride, the pride of life. That's the third thing that that New Testament verse talks about. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things will get you into trouble. And she didn't just hit one of them. She saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise. She saw that it satisfied her flesh for good food that it was pleasant to the eyes, that it made her feel like, Oh, I want that. i got to have that. And it was a tree desirable to make her wise. Oh, I could be wise. The pride of life, you see. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And all three of them attracted her on that. So she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And then verse 7 says... Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now they knew. Before, they were innocent. Just like all the other animals who didn't have clothes, they didn't have clothes, but it was not a big deal because they didn't know. They were innocent, just like a newborn babe doesn't know about clothes, doesn't care what those clothes are. And if you let them go after they learn to walk, they'll, they'll run around the house without those clothes. But they didn't mean anything. They were innocent. And that's the way Adam and Eve were. But now, their eyes are open to what's good and what's evil. God was going to give them all of the good and keep them safe from the harm that the evil would bring on their lives. But they had to make their own choice. And when they were tempted, they fell away after their own desires. That brought forth sin and sin, when it is matured, it brings forth death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go on down to the next verses, verses eight through 10. It says in verse eight, and then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Among the trees of the garden, they hid themselves. Then the Lord God called out to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, Adam said to God, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now this is something that you really, really need to remember. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They used to be able to walk with God. They enjoyed His presence. He enjoyed their presence. And they walked with God in the garden in the evening and the cool of the day. But now they hear the voice of the Lord. They hear the sound of the Lord walking. And instead of being attracted to Him, they're afraid of Him. And they're ashamed of their sin. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. How many people today have heard the word of God? You've heard verses here and there. Someone quoted to you John 3.16. You heard them talk about it. You saw it on television. You saw uh, something on, on, on some print out that someone had left at a, at a coffee table or at a cafe or on the street, on a bench or something, and it said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16, in the New Testament. In the book of John, in the New Testament. Vepedek Shalosh, chapter 3. Vepasuk Sheshasrei, and verse 16. Maybe people have heard that, but they were afraid because of the sin in their life. And they hid themselves from God. So many people today have heard things in the Word of God. They've seen people who were talking about it. Someone might have even been witnessing to them and talking to them about how God loves them. But they went away and they said, well, I can't do that. Because if I believe on Yeshua, if I believe on God, then the rest of my people will think I'm crazy. And they chose what man thinks about them over what God thinks about them. They hid themselves from God. Oh, they heard Him there. They heard about His Word. They heard about how much He loves them. They heard the sound of His grace and mercy. They heard the sound of Him walking near, but they hid themselves away from the presence of the Lord. Are you one of those people that you've been hiding from God? You know what's right. His Word has come near you. Don't let it depart again. This time, when God calls out, you answer. And everlasting life will be yours. Don't go through this life confused and deceived into thinking that this stuff here is all you are. You are far, far more than that. Don't you know that? You look at those other animals on earth. They have bodies. But they don't have this. You have that. God made you in His image. Don't lose the everlasting life you were created for. But then look at what it says in verse 9. After they hid themselves, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Adam said, Well, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Now when God said to Adam, called out, Where are you? Here's God that made... The whole universe, galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars, don't get me started again. Superclusters of galaxies with thousands and thousands of galaxies in a cluster, a group of galaxies, and at least 2.2 trillion galaxies in the known universe, just what we know of it today, each with hundreds of billions of stars. And each star is kind of like our sun, which is 93 million times. Bigger than the earth we live on. The God who made all of this, the creator of all things, don't you think he knows where Adam is? Think about that. Don't you think he knows where Adam is? He's going. oh my goodness, I put all the stars and galaxies and planets and all of these things into place and uh, I just don't know where Adam is. He's here in this garden somewhere, but I can't find him. Oh, please. God is all-knowing. He's all powerful. He knew where Adam was. Well, Okay, Pastor Stephen. Then why did he say, where are you to Adam? Because he was asking Adam to reflect on what he had done. And basically he was asking Adam to think about, where are you now? You disobeyed me before we walked and talked together. Before everlasting life was yours. I had told you that in the day that you eat of the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the midst of the garden, I told you that you would surely die. Now, Adam, you ate of it. So where are you? Why did you do that? Look at where it took you. Here you are afraid of your creator, the one who made you to be his child. Where are you, Adam? What happened? you see what that sin did, Adam? It didn't help you, it didn't make you happy, no, it destroyed your life. And that's what God was telling Adam when he said, where are you? Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He's ashamed, but he's ashamed not only of his nakedness, but he's ashamed of his sins. Chapter 3, verse 11 through 13, as we go ahead and uh, keep on going on our journey through chapter 3, he says in verse 11, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? God says to Adam, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not do? And once again, God knows that Adam ate. That's how he knows that he's naked. That's, God knows all things. But here he is asking Adam again, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? And what he was doing was saying, Adam, confessing your sin is the first step to healing the sin. Have you eaten from the tree? Adam could have said, no. Have you ever seen a little child and there was a chocolate cake in the kitchen sitting on the table and the mom had made that cake and it was beautiful waiting for everyone in the family to eat it that night after dinner. But that little two-year-old got up there and just started eating that, piling it in their face. And they had chocolate all over their face and dripping down their clothes and the hand had was full of chocolate and the mother came in and says, Did you eat my chocolate cake? And the little child goes, no. (laughs) The evidence is there. The sin is there. Of course the child ate the cake. But at least Adam was mature enough to not try to deceive God. He knew that God knew the truth. He knew that God was all powerful. He said, have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And Adam basically didn't deny that. He didn't come right out and say yes, but look what he did. Verse 12 says, Then the man said, The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Isn't that just like people? How many of you have children? Have a couple of children? Annie, what are you doing? Did you make that mess over there? And he says, no, John did. My brother did. John is going, no, I didn't and did. You try to blame each other. People try to blame each other. Why is this project not on schedule? It's because those people over there didn't do their job. Those people over there are saying, no, he told us to do something else. Who's right? They're trying to blame each other and they're pointing fingers And it's the blame game. That's what we call it. It's the blame game. That's the way it is in Washington, D.C. That's the way it is in the Knesset. That's the way it is all across the world. People trying to blame each other for any problem that they have. It's better to be a man or a woman of integrity. And when you make a mistake, just own up to it and say, You know what? I did do that and I'm sorry I did the wrong thing." That person will be respected and honored far more than a person who tries to pass the blame off to somebody else. I've known people that are so kind in their hearts, very few of them, but they're so kind in their heart that even when someone else did something wrong and someone asked them, Who did this? Did that person over there do it? And these people said, Well, I'm sure they meant right. And they usually do good work. Don't be too upset with them. They're really good people normally. And they try to help that other person out. We call that going to bat for that other person. They try to support the other person. But some people just will try to blame anybody. You don't want to do that. Be a man or a woman who is what we call in Hebrew, yashar. You know that yashar means straight ahead. And that's what it's saying. It's a word that we use to be honest. Be a man or a woman who is yashar, yashar, straightforward, straight ahead. You're not going to go to the left. You're not going to go to the right. You're going to tell the truth. No matter what the cost, you'll tell the truth. Then the man said to God, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, he didn't even pay any attention really to Adam. Adam probably for a few seconds might have thought like, okay, now God's talking to the woman. I'm in the clear. But verse 13, God says to the woman, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Look how they're all pointing. Adam goes, she did it. She says, that serpent did it. They're all blaming. No one's owning their own mistake. They're not being honest with God. And make no mistake, God looks at the heart. God knows what's going on in there. You're you're not going to convince God through a lie. You're not going to convince God by doing childish little things like that, blaming somebody else. Better to admit it. Admit it. Confess your sins. That's the first step in healing your sins. And then ask God, to come into your heart, tell him you believe on his Messiah, Jesus, who died as an atonement for your sins, and you will be saved from those sins. And God will forget to remember them anymore. He'll take your sins, the Bible says, and put them as far as east is away from west. And so the woman says to God, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The serpent didn't deceive her. Well, he did in some ways. She looked at it. She saw that the fruit looked good. She saw that it was pleasing to the eyes. She saw that it was good for the taste and that she wanted to be wise. So she ate it. Well, the serpent deceived her when he said that you shall not surely die. But now she was going to surely die. And if you think I'm just talking about the physical body, get into the reality mindset. We're not just talking about this flesh, these bones, this blood, these muscles or or lack of muscles in some of our case. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the real you, the inside you, the one that's thinking right now, the real you, the spirit you that has the possibility, the potential to live forever. You've lost track. You've forgotten who you are over the years. You know it your eternal spirit made in the image of God. And yet the world has convinced you that you're just another piece of meat, a piece of flesh, walking around, looking at things, lusting after things, wanting more and more money, all of these things that don't do anything for everlasting life. Look me in the eyes. You are far more than just that fleshly body. You are a treasure to Almighty God. He made you in His image. You have spirit. You have eternal spirit. Not just equal to the body, but far, far greater. Your eternal, everlasting spirit was designed to live forever. That body is going to wear out after so many years. What's inside live forever doesn't it make sense to start focusing on the importance of your spirit and make sure your spirit is healthy by saying yes to God's Messiah Yeshua HaMashiach and you will be saved Yeshua Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me Those that believe on the Son have life and their sins are forgiven. This is the Word of God. Believe in the words that I'm saying. Cry out to God God, I believe on your Son, Jesus. Save me, I pray. And He will hear that prayer and He will save you. And you'll be a new creature. You'll have a clean slate. Not just to start again in case you mess up again, but He'll always guide you, always lead you. He'll forgive you every day of the mistakes that you make. And you'll get closer and closer to Him and you'll become more like He is in your heart. You'll think of the kind and good and loving things that He thinks of. You'll love Him. You'll love others. And that fulfills the law, all the law right there. So Eve said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Just be honest with God and let him take care of everything. But now in Genesis 3, 14, 15, God turns his attention to the serpent. And he talks about the final punishment for Satan. And also he talks about, for the first time in the Bible, God's plan to save man from sin. Says in verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust and all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman. You'll be her enemy, she'll be yours and between your seed and her seed and he, the seed of mankind, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now look at what God is saying. God knows that the serpent is Satan who's taken on this appearance of a serpent and tried to destroy the man and woman who God made. And the serpent has introduced temptation and sin into the world. And now God's saying, you've tried to hurt my children. You've tried to keep my children from me. The ones whom I made in my image, that they may live forever with me in my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, with incredible, wonderful things to see and to do throughout eternity. And I show them my love throughout eternity. And you've tried to kill them by causing them to sin. Here's what I'm going to do to you. All the days of your life, you're going to crawl around on your belly. You're cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. They're going to be your enemy. You're going to be their enemies. But now look at this last part of this verse in verse 15. And he, the seed of man, shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Now look back at what it said in a few verses earlier where it says that I will put enmity between your seed and hers. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed. Why did he say her seed instead of his seed speaking of mankind? Because the Son of God, the Messiah of God, came to earth in the body of a man, became a little child. God became a man and was not born because of someone being the father from earth. He had an earthly mother, Mary. But Joseph was not his father. The Holy Spirit, it says in the New Testament, came upon Mary. And what was conceived in her was not of Joseph, but was of the Holy Spirit. God himself became the other part of that union. And so God is saying now, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It wasn't his seed, speaking of Adam, anymore. It was her seed because eventually he would come from her lineage. And it says that man, it says that this one, her seed, her seed, the one, the promised one, the Mashiach, the Messiah, who is going to atone for our sins and save us from our sins and restore us to everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven, that he will bruise your head, God is saying to the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel there on the cross. The Mashiach's heel was bruised. But he did not, Satan did not kill the Messiah forever. The body died a death, but then raised from the dead because he had no sin of his own. Because God, the Son of God, had no sin of his own. The Mashiach had no sin of his own. So death could not hold him because the wages of sin is death. And since he had no sin of his own, death couldn't hold him. So he was raised from the dead. And that's why they still cannot find a body. Because he's at the right hand of God Almighty, the Heavenly Father, in the kingdom of heaven. Waiting for the Father to send him to return to where he can take his rightful kingdom and rule and reign in this kingdom forever and ever and take away all sin. He took our sins upon himself that we might be saved. He had no sin of his own so he could be raised from the dead. Oh, yes, Satan hurt his body, but he crushed the head of the serpent. He killed Satan. And one day Satan, when his time is up, will be cast into the lake of fire, and God will punish him, and his punishment will be forever and ever. It's amazing how in this first book of the Bible, here God is giving us the very plan of salvation that the New Testament speaks of. Look at verse 16 as we continue and finish up now today. To the woman, God said, he turns his attention now to the woman. He's talked about the punishment for the serpent, for Satan. But he can't let the woman off. The woman did sin of her own choice, and the man did too. So he turns his attention now to the woman. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Well, we don't know what it would have been like before sin came upon man and woman. But God is saying, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you're going to bring forth children. Things are not going to be like they were before. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard in life, he's saying. Your desire is going to be for your husband, and he's going to rule over you. You were created to be a helper for him. You're created to be equal for him, but now your desire is going to be to him. He's going to rule over you because not every man thinks in a godly way about his wife. And some men try to rule over their wives and the wives are afraid and their desire is to their husband and they try to do anything they can to keep on his good side. There's great pain and sorrow now after sin has come upon the earth but then God turns his attention in verse 17 he turns his attention to Adam and he says and to Adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground for your sake in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you And you shall eat of the herbs of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now I want to show you something here. When God told the woman what her consequences were for her sin, He basically said, I'm going to multiply your labor in childbirth. And your desire is going to be for your husband, and he's going to rule over you. All right. But you don't have a baby every day. Childbirth is hard. No man could endure it. God has made it to where the woman can endure it, but it's hard. And by the time it's nine months later and it's time for that baby to come, no woman wants to remain that way forever forever. No woman wants to go through that again anytime soon, you see. So it happens, and then it doesn't happen again for a while. But look at what he's telling Adam. He said, because you heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life not just some of the days of your life all the days of your life it's going to be hard in the toil you shall eat of it sweat of your brow both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth it's going to be hard to keep those weeds away from it those thorns and thistles just to get a good crop so you can make bread it's going to be tough for you Every day that you're going to work that ground. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat of it. Every day. Every day. Till you return to the ground. For out of the ground you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Remember his name is Adam. Because he was taken out of the Adama. Which is a Hebrew word for dirt. So Adam, the man. Came from the Adama, Adam from Adama. God's saying, out of the dust you came, to the dust you're going to return. And until then, it's going to be hard for you. And I think the reason why man's punishment was like this is because man was supposed to be the leader of the family. The last word came from Adam. The woman came to him and says, Shall we eat of this? He was supposed to remember and say, No, God said no. Here, take that and put it away. We're not going to do that. I don't want to die. God said, We're surely going to die. But Adam made the decision. And he made the decision not only for himself, but he was making the decision for his wife as well, if you think about it. Now she took and eat. she ate of it on her own, and she was to blame for her own decision. But he was agreeing with her then, and they chose to disobey God together. So if you put yourself in Adam's situation, what would you have said? What would you have done? Oh, sure, it's easy now, reading the Bible and seeing what happened all these many years later and the sadness and sorrow and despair on the earth. And you think, well, I don't know what I would have done it. But I would, I think I would have said no. But back then, what would you have said? You didn't know, you see. But the mercy of God is going to be talked about now. Later as we go through the rest of it. Now in verse 20, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics or coats of skin and clothed them. Now this is the first indication by God of what had to be done to take care of man and to try to atone for man's sins. An animal had to die to provide that skin. Blood had to be shed to provide the care of Adam and his wife Eve when those coats were made of skin. God was showing that blood had to be shed to atone for sin. And then in the last two verses, it says, In his mercy, God took everlasting life away from man until the man would be restored. Let's read the verses together. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed Chuvim Cherubim, as you would say in English. He placed Chuvim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, this is one more instance, just like in Genesis 1:26, where God is saying, Let us do something. He says, Now the man has become as one of us, knowing good and evil. Who's he talking to? He's talking about the man. He's not talking to Adam. He's not talking to the angels. We covered that in Genesis 1. He's talking to himself because God is three in one. Oh, he's still one. But He's one and yet He exists in a way that you and I cannot understand because His thoughts are higher than our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. His ways are higher than our ways as the heavens are above the earth. God exists in a way that you and I cannot comprehend. Don't think that God has to be like you. Can God be different than you? Absolutely He can. How do you know how God exists? The creatures before His throne with four faces and six wings and two of the wings, they cover their feet, two they cover their eyes, two they fly with, and they have four faces, one facing each direction. Tell me, you who understand God, how many minds do those creatures have? They were there, reported by the prophets in the Tanakh and also also, also the New Testament and the Old Testament. How do you understand them? Do they have four minds or one mind? If you cannot understand the creatures that are before the throne of God, how can you say you understand God himself? He is far higher than what you can understand, than what I can understand. Can he be three in one? Absolutely, because the scriptures say that in all of these different verses, where he is talking to himself and none other and yet he is still one. He is one. Shema Israel, Adonai Adonai Chad. Many Jews don't even know where that verse is in the Bible, but they're quoting the Torah. They're quoting the very word of God. Take that to heart. He is three, and yet he is one. At the end of it all, just say, he is higher than what I can understand, and you'll be in good shape. Well, that's the end of Genesis chapter 3. It's interesting that then God kicked man out of the Garden of Eden, put the cherubim, the cherubs, at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. Why did He do that? He didn't want them to live forever, Pastor Stephen. No, that's not it. He did not want them to live forever in that fallen state. Man just gets sadder and sadder. He gets emptier and emptier. I know we have all this technology, all these things that we can buy and everything, but our lives become sadder and sadder, more despondent, more despairing as the years go by. Think of how that would be if man lived millions of years and had access to the tree of life and lived forever. After so many years, he would just be incredibly sad and wanting to end it all, and he wouldn't be able to end it all. So God put a flaming sword which guarded the way to the tree of life until God's plan for saving man would come about when it would be time for him to send the Messiah and man could be saved, his sins forgiven, his heart changed, and then he would be restored to the Garden of Eden and be able to live forever. Because then he would be in a state of heart, in a state of existence that would be wonderful to live forever in that state. That's the end of the chapter. And next week we're going to continue our journey through the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. You don't want to miss it next week. Very quickly now. We will be seeing the beginnings of civilization, the beginnings of nations, the beginnings of violence and sorrow, and shortly thereafter the beginning of the Jewish people and God's plan to save mankind through one who would come through them. Make sure you're here next week with everyone as we continue in our journey of understanding the Bible, the Word of God. Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear your cry, and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness. He'll shine His light on your heart. You'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person, throw away all that bad history, and you'll be completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's His promise, His guarantee to you by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You're going to repeat after me. Just say, God, I do want to know You and have real peace in life. I believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Yeshua HaMashiach, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to You. Thank You, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. He's already started working in your life. A little seed has been planted deep down inside. And over time, you're going to begin begin to see that seed grow and the wonderful changes that God's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Study. Learn about Him. Learn about Him and His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do amazing things in your life.